you know, we want to be able to make sure that people are teaching the things that are reproducible, not a fad. You know, rhinoplasty, you can't do fad stuff. You can't do the, the next and latest, greatest thing because, man, that doesn't work well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first special episode of season two of the Rhinoplasty podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. I've got three incredible guests. These three men, I think, had the biggest influence on my career as a rhinoplasty surgeon when I first met them five years ago. So um, all the way from Dallas, Prof. Rod Rorick, Prof. Spencer Cochran, and Paul Afruz down in Miami, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Glad to be here, Cam. Thanks, Cameron. Good to be here. Let me kick off with my first question, um, Prof. Rod. So the Dallas rhinoplasty course. Give us the history of this because it's an incredible thing. It hasn't happened for the last two years, but where did this all start way back in the day? I would say, you know, the, the credit all goes to Jack Gunter. Jack Gunter was, you know, the pioneer. He was the rhinoplasty master, you know, trained in both ENT and in plastic surgery. It was his brainchild to, you know, 39 years ago, say, listen, we need to teach rhinoplasty, specifically open rhinoplasty to everybody you know, facial plastic surgery, otolaryngology, and plastic surgeons, and do so in a very methodical way. And, and that really was Jack Gunter. That's so much better. That, that was Jack Gunter. You know, he was a consummate teacher, a consummate perfectionist. He would uh, not ever say, take no for an answer. And he was, um, he was truly at the cutting and bleeding edge. And, you know, we all knew him, and especially Spencer and I really knew him well. And, um, he was a character. He could be a very tough character, but he always was true. He was a true friend and a true colleague. So that's where it started. And it started in, uh, you know, with five guys. You know, it was uh, John Tebbett, Steve Bird, Bob Sheffield, Bob O'Neill, and Jack Gunter, you know, in, in a small little classroom in, in uh, UT Southwestern. And, um, and, you know, I was uh, rotating as a fellow, so I was, I was just – you know, there as a, as a participant, but you, you can imagine with those characters, especially, you know, having Dr. Debitz and Bird, <laughs> it was amazing. And it was just a few people. And really, it was only about uh, teaching residents initially uh, and, and teaching them open technique and to do it well, because especially in plastic surgery, and Spencer can comment as well, in plastic surgery, rhinoplasty was embryonic. It was all closed approach. Nobody really knew what happened under the hood because nobody could really see it and teach it. And, you know, I was taught that in Michigan as well. So what Jack did is he opened a whole new world. He opened a, a world of open rhinoplasty and how to do it methodically. The Gunter graphic, you know, all of those things, you know, that really, I think they've transformed all of plastic surgery and rhinoplasty. I think that because of Jack, you know, we've trained over 17,000 people in our meeting and, you know, and some of the current leaders in, in rhinoplasty, including these guys here today. So, you know, it all goes to Jack Hunter. I mean, he's an um, amazing guy. And honestly, that's the reason I continue to do it, because to honor him and to, to really teach rhinoplasty. Well, you know, uh, Dr. Gunner was always an educator um, and always was thinking, always wanting to learn himself. But I mean, I think a large part of the success of the Dallas Rhinoplasty Symposium, obviously, um, is due to Dr. Rourke. I think he's being awfully modest here. Um, he always says to be the best, you got to train with the best. And, and I think one of the 
one of the great things about the Dallas Rhinoplasty Symposium um, is that year after year, Dr. Rourke brings in the best rhinoplasty surgeons in the world to share their expertise, their techniques, their viewpoints and counter viewpoints. And, and it's always fun because there's always some disagreement and it's the disagreement that, that makes the, the discussions lively, but it's also where people can really learn. Uh, and so, I mean, hats off to, to Dr. Rourke for, for continuing the legacy that Dr. Gunner and, and these, uh, that older generation of, sur of surgeons started, but um, I feel like it's gotten better and better with each passing year. So I, I think it's in a good place. Vince, I, I recall. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, Dr. Rourke, you, you've been very humble about it, but you have made the meeting exponentially better year after year. And I think the thing I admire most is that, you know, we, those of us who know you very well, we know you're very opinionated with regard to your uh, approach to things, but you remain very objective um, with respect to the invited lecturers and, and very open-minded, all, all for the sake of education. And I think we've all uh, uh, learned quite a bit from all the speakers that you've invited over the, the last decade. Well, we've always, you know, it was one of the things that we learned, we all learned together. And we always wanted to bring, like Spencer said, and you've said, Paul, that we wanted to bring kind of the best of the best at that time. Now it's preservation. You know, we're bringing all the world leaders to Dallas, you know, from Europe and, you know, Aaron and Dino, and they're all great guys. And boy, you know, they're completely different than what I do and what any of you do. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm going to you know, say, listen, will I do some preservation? Probably will. But, you know, it's not another way of life. We've all been through so many things where it was always the best. You know, you always should do piezo. You should always do dice cartilage. You know, always should do you know, tip grab. I mean, you know, in plastic surgery and rhinoplasty, you don't ever always say always, as we've all learned the hard way. So well, I think one of the other strengths of the Dallas Rhinoplasty Symposium is that Dr. Rourke's bringing in experienced and seasoned rhinoplasty experts. These are people who have been using their own techniques and um, advancing their own techniques for decades. It's, it's not like you're you know, he's bringing in people that are, have tried something for a year or two and they're just, you know, hey, look at me, I'm the latest and the greatest. I mean, these are really time-tested principles that are being taught to, to the, the, the attendees. And for the, you know, there's always new things, there's always innovations, but, but uh, I think the, the goal is to teach surgeons how to be better and safer surgeons and, and to do the right things. And so, um, you know, we're, we're trying to teach techniques that are, that are time-tested. And there, and there is room for innovation, but uh, but that's got to, um, you know, be backed up by long-term results. Okay, so has the, the, the focus changed from when it was initially for uh, residents to now surgeons who are, are past that already and have, have practices that are working? So is it, it's quite open to people from around the world. Well, of course, you know, it actually grew. So, you know, the foundation still is the cadaver lab where we teach the basic techniques and technology. And this year we're going to teach preservation along with precision structural rhinoplasty. So we're all going to be doing parts of that. So it's going to be a blend of both of those. But so many of the participants, up to 30% of the people that come to the meeting actually have come two, three, four times. And, and because it's always different. Every year is different. So when people come and then they, they skip a year to say, wow, that's completely different. This year is going to be epic different. 
completely different. In fact, all of us are, you know, I've actually, you know, incorporated all of these preservation folks into even the precision rhinoplasty meeting. So that's actually going to be completely different. And we'll see what people say. And I think the good thing is, you know, in the panels, we'll be very open and objective and, you know, and, uh, you know, probably not quite as open as Jack would have been. <laughs> but he, he, you know, he really let it let it rip when, uh, you know, on the panels, which is a good thing. You know, we really want people to you know, be their best and do their best. And it's like, like Spencer said, you know, we want to be able to make sure that people are teaching the things that are reproducible, not a fad. You know, rhinoplasty, you can't do fad stuff. You can't do the, the next and latest, greatest thing because, man, that doesn't work well. Okay, so, Paul, I've got a question for you. Five years ago, you were the fellow here for these two gentlemen. Tell, tell the listeners... What are they really like? Because we, we know them on social media. We've seen these guys. But give us a, a few little funny things that have happened whilst you were a fellow. Oh, gosh. The, the list of stories is endless. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll start with, with Dr. Rorick. Um, you know, he's, he's just such a, a revered plastic surgeon. So automatically people come come and are very timid and, um, you know, really want to feel him out before, and, and I don't think anyone really gets comfortable around him ever. Um, but for some reason, I just felt comfortable around him. I was just myself, and um, uh, I think one of the things I realized is what a great sense of humor uh, uh, Dr. Work has. We had some really, really um, notable belly chuckles throughout the year with you know through throughout the traveling and just hours and hours in the OR. Um so I think sense of humor is is one thing that I realized about Dr. Work without uh prior to knowing him earlier. Of course early on it was a very intimidating thing but um it, it just I could let my guard down and really really learn and um to this day, you know, if I'm opening a nose that's been operated on three previous times, I just, um, the, the reason that I'm able to do that is just what the amount of reps uh, that I got with Dr. Warwick. And uh, with Spencer, you know, I, I realized he likes Pearl Jam a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just kidding. For some reason, every time I was in surgery with Dr. Cochran, um, Pearl Jam would be playing. So we always kid around about and that. And you know, like Pearl Jam. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was always on the radio. Yeah. But um, with with Spencer, I really got, uh, I, I come to realize that he's um, you know, a man of many interests. You know, he loves rhinoplasty and is obviously very passionate and dedicated his life to that. But he's got many, many other interests outside of plastic surgery. I thought that was really neat um, and um, also a great sense of humor. And uh, we, we had a great time. And I, I've learned so much from both of these guys. And I, I'm just, you know, eternally grateful for it. And um, Spencer, tell us something about Paul. I mean, Paul's a bit of a rock star now. He, he set up. You know, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Are you talking to me? Uh, yeah, can you, can you, I, we can't. It's hard to hear you. All I heard was my name and rock stars. Did I hear that right? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I wanted to know some stories about Paul, who's now set himself up in Miami. Oh, well, I mean, all I hear is great things. You know, he's taken on a lot of great cases. I mean, you know, I think it's so good to have people that you train that excel. I love that. You know, I've trained over 10 chairs in plastic surgery. and, And, you know, people like Paul make me happy when I see what they do and I see what they post and also when I see their patients and I love that. And then, uh, cause that really takes the art to the next level. And, you know, we are here to make things better and to train people to do what we did and, and do it better. You know, and I love that when I see somebody results that look and I go, wow, you know, and you know, I, I do that. You know, when I see some of Paul's results, not all the time, but most of the time, <laughs> no, no, it, it's amazing, and I like that. And you know, rhinoplasty is not a easy operation, and it, and especially revision rhinoplasty. So, I mean, honestly, I love that. I, you know, and I think that's that makes me glow. That's what makes me tick because, you know, I have fellows in residence, and honestly, that's why I love what I do every day. And you know, it's people like Paul that are, you know, doing great things, taking great care of patients. You know, we never worry about, you know. Spencer and I never worry about, oh, my God, we, we, you know, we're training another person to be competitive. I mean, my goodness, if anything, it just makes us both busier. Right, Spencer? I mean, it's just. Well, you know, another thing is, is that the rhinoplasty education, it's a two-way street. I mean, Rod and I are both involved with tra- training fellows and, and bringing them up to speed, but, but they sharpen us uh, to the same degree. To, to have a fellow operating alongside of us and for them to be able to, for them to ask a question, why are you doing that? Um, you have to be able to really think of, okay, why am I doing this certain technique? You gotta be able to, to answer the questions and, and answer them in a way that, that not only makes sense to the person you're teaching, but makes sense to yourself. And so I think that having the ability to be involved with some of the, the really up and coming surgeons, uh, and, and be sharpened by them at the same time that we're teaching. It's just, it's an incredible honor to get to teach these, this younger generation of surgeons because I learn something from, from them every time they're with me. I agree. Yeah, so I agree. It's really, uh, you know, that's why we do what we do. So I want to tell a little story to the listeners out there. And the reason we're actually sitting here on this rhinoplasty podcast is because of these three men. And I, got, I have to clock back to the IMRHS meeting in Versailles in 2016 where I met Prof. Rod for the first time and he invited me to come to Dallas, which I did a few months later. And there I met Spencer and Paul at the same time. And I was challenged to say, why does South Africa not have a rhinoplasty society? So then a group of us got together and we started Saucer or the Rhinoplasty Society. And Spencer was actually one of our first, um, with Jeff Marcus, one of our first speakers. And then in the, the following year, Paul came over and I'm still fighting to get Prof. Rod to come. It's going to happen. But uh, yeah, it's a big shout out to all the listeners around the world because this podcast would not have happened if it wasn't for the humility that they have of saying, we don't care about um, you being a competitor. We want to embrace and improve your your skills as well. So that's something I admire greatly in you guys. Thank you, Cam. No, it's great. I mean, you know, we're, I'm very proud of what you're doing. You did the World Rhinoplasty Day and all those things. I mean, that's awesome. And, and you know, I think you've really, you know, sparked a real, you know, incredible interest in all of Africa, not just South Africa. And I think, 
really a tribute to you. I mean, it's phenomenal. I, we love that. And I, I will come, you know, I mean, post COVID here, you know, I think in the next six months, I think those restrictions are going to go away. I mean, you know, I'm going to Italy uh, in a, a month, hopefully, but you know, it's been a challenge. I've only traveled internationally about three times. It's a challenge now, but I think it's getting so much better. Um, you know, hell, it was even a challenge in the USA for a while. Okay, so I'm going to ask you each one last question before we, we call it a day. Um, Paul, I'm going to start with you. Um, for young guys wanting to start out, what are the, the, the pitfalls that you think they should be careful of? Gosh, that's, uh, I could go on and on about that just based on personal experience. But, um, I, you know, I would say that um, I, I've had a tremendous, tremendous training background in rhinoplasty between these two um, gentlemen. And I, I came out and I really thought that you know, I was the hottest thing on two feet and I can take take on any nose. And to some degree, that's a, you know, you, you have to have a little bit of moxie and um, and and confidence when it comes to, to this, because this is a very challenging operation and it can be very unforgiving and very intimidating. Um, but I, I would say just m maintain your humility, just because you read, um, you, you know, there's are so many tremendous resources out there, but because you, you know how to put in a transdomal suture or, uh, and, and you think you've narrowed the domes and you think that's going to yield a beautiful nose. Um, there are times when you're going to get served a slice of humble pie. You think you did everything right. So, uh, my advice would be take it slow. I think a pitfall is to just dive in to some really complex noses. Um, one of the things that uh, Dr. Rorick always said to his residents and fellows was give it about five years until you start doing revisions. I, I, I don't think I waited, um, you know, five weeks. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I bit off more than I can chew, and I'm much better for it now. But it it uh, it came at um, at a high price. You know, there's a lot of um, humility and um, going going back to the drawing board that one has to do early on and and forever in in rhinoplasty. But my advice would be stay humble. Um, don't get discouraged. Um, you know, approach it slowly in an incremental fashion. Uh, with regard to complex cases and objectively analyze your results and see, just constantly try to improve. Um, so I think, does that, does that address the pitfall question? It's beautiful. Beautiful. The guys love it. They loved your podcast last year on dead space, by the way. Thank you. Oh, great. So my next question for you, I still vividly remember the first time I came to visit you, in your um, practice, you have the, like a booklet of a lot of your cases, the befores and afters. And I was like, wow, this is great. And you said to me, no, there's only one. 
and you showed me that nose that has been the best. So my question is this, if you've done your 10,000 rhinoplasties or whatever many you've done now, and you've only had one perfect result, how do you manage that stress of being able to be satisfied with something that's not 100% perfect? Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think you, you talk to any true rhinoplasty surgeon and they're never happy about their results. They're always wanting it to be better. They're always wanting it to, you know, they, they always want to fine tune something. And, and, and it was something I heard Jack Gunner say time and time again in, in his discussion with patients. He'd all, he would always say, I've never done a perfect nose. And I saw plenty that I thought were pretty close to perfect that he had done. But that kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And so, um, I mean, I think we have to be our own worst critics. And that's the only way we're going to get better is that good enough is never good enough. Um, and it's, it, you know, it, it's one of those surgeries. I don't think we can ever conquer it. We can, we can master certain aspects of it. But as soon as we get one thing mastered, there's going to be something else that throws us for a loop. So uh, to answer the, you know, the question that you asked Paul, I, I, mean, I think he hit it on the, on the head of the nail, too, is that you, you got to remain humble. You, you got to know your limitations. Uh, don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't promise the results you can't deliver. And I think that it would be real important that you master the, the tried and true basics of rhinoplasty before you start experimenting with, with new techniques. And, um, and often in case, I mean, I hear patients say uh, that they're one of their desires for rhinoplasty, they say less is more. And so um, I think also starting out in rhinoplasty, something that will keep you out of trouble is, is less is more. Be, be conservative. And, um, and those things can generally keep you out of trouble. Awesome. Okay, so Prof. Rod, my, my question to you, like you recently finished editing the PRS journal, working from early hours of the morning, operating, the social media's going out, you've got fellows, you've got visitors, and you never seem to stop. What is the resilience? How do you find time to energize yourself again? Well, Cameron, you know, I think, um, you know, it just comes down to what drives you. I think everybody, everyone has their own individual drive. You know, what drives me is uh, my passion for life, my passion for plastic surgery, and my passion for rhinoplasty. I mean, you know, we do all, you know, you only can excel if you have a passion for what you do. And, and really, it's got to be, if you don't have a passion for, let's just say, rhinoplasty, you can't ever be great. Uh, and you can't ever, you know, excel. And you can never, it'll never be perfect. So it's the passion. It's the focus. It's the ability to, uh, to really be self-critical of your results, as both Spencer and Paul mentioned. Because, you know, with rhinoplasty, the more you know, the less you know. And, and you know, I'll tell you, there are things that I see and do now that I didn't know even a year ago. And that's why when I see preservation, there are some pros and cons. But I think... You know, I always worry about, and I told Dean this, Dean Torahumidis in Miami, is that I have to be able to teach that technique like I teach precision rhinoplasty in the same way and have them get the best result because, you know, there's no perfect rhinoplasty. You know, we've all done thousands, and and it's a humbling operation. All, all I can tell you is just when you think you're, you're great, you really are, then you see your two-year post-op and you go, okay, <laughs> that didn't go so well. and. Uh, you know, but, you know, you have to be able to manage those, manage. And I'll tell you, plastic and rhinoplasty is, is an art. 
It's managing those patients, not only preoperatively, but, you know, how you manage their expectations. And, and the primary versus the secondary rhinoplastic patient, they're completely different operations, completely different patients and mindsets, you know. And, you know, in, in the primary, you tell them the three things you can do. In the secondary, you tell them the three things you can't do or a lot more. Because if you don't do that, those patients will not be happy. And that's why, you know, not everybody, you know, should have a rhinoplasty. It depends on, you know, their mindset. And we've all been through that and we've all made those mistakes. And I think the best thing you can do is be true to yourself, be honest with your patients and to follow them, as both Paul and Spencer said, because I'll tell you, the worst thing about COVID has been not being able to see my patients long-term. Now they're finally coming back because we had to restrict them, at least in the United States. So now they're coming back. And it's so good to see 6, 12, and 2, and 5, and 10-year post-ops, you know, because during COVID, we had to stop that. So I think it's a, it's a perpetual learning journey. And I think rhinoplasty epitomizes all of that. So it's your passion. It's your uh, ability to be persuasive with yourself. And to love what you do. If you do those three things, um, you know, I think you're unstoppable. And, and, and the moment you lose your passion, it's over. It really is. I mean, once I'm, if, if I lose a passion and I'm walking and I'm going up my elevator thoughts on that morning and I'm, I'm out of here, I'm, you know, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go to Florida and, and smoke cigars, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, please don't lose your passion. But, um, yeah, guys, I mean, we can talk for hours. I, I'm, uh, I'm aware that we've, got, we've done 25 minutes. Um, and on behalf of the listeners from like 70 countries around the world, I just want to say, number one, I want to say thank you for what you do. Thank you for your passion about rhinoplasty. But secondly, I want to say to the listeners, guys, if you want to get into rhinoplasty, there's only one place to go and get to Dallas. Learn from these guys. You might have to go by Miami, be poor, but get to Dallas. If you if you can, it 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 will have a lifelong impact on you as a surgeon. So yeah, thank you so much, gentlemen. Well, and Cameron, you're you're, you're coming, you do right? You're coming as my guest, right? You're um, coming to I, Dallas. I can get this arm fixed. I'm coming. All right, yeah, you got to come, and it's you know it's it's yeah it's March 10th through the 13th. Preservation versus precision, interactive lab. All these guys are going to be there, and so much more. It's going to be awesome. We'll see you in Big D live. Fantastic. Fantastic.